Hello uh, and welcome to How Digital Technology Changes Work, the podcast from MWD Advisors. Uh, my name is Neil Ward-Dutton and today I'm very pleased to be joined by Miguel Valdez-Faura, who is the CEO and co-founder of Bonitasoft. Welcome, Miguel. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Neil, for inviting me and uh, hello, everyone. Yeah, fantastic. I, I really appreciate it. We, we've known each other for a long time and it's great to, uh, to finally get a chance to chat to you uh, on air because I know you've got a lot of really, uh, really great experience to share. So great, great um, pleasure. I'm a big fan of your podcast series. Oh, fantastic. That's that's nice. Wait, we have one fan. Then. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, Miguel, um, you know, I, I just said, you know, you, you have a lot of experience to share. Um, why don't we start by, you know, you just talking a little bit about uh, how you first got into the uh, the kind of uh, the process automation space and, and kind of how you've got to your current position and also talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Sure thing. Uh, so I, I'm involved actually in the BPM market since uh, early 2000s. Um, you know, at that time uh, I was a developer. I'm, I'm an engineer by training. And I started uh, coding an open source uh, workflow and BPM engine called Bonita. Uh, and of course, since then, I've been in uh, several different roles, uh, you know, from being a, an architect uh, to then creating, um, you know, co-founding the, the company I'm running today, Bonitasoft, for the last nine years and being a CEO. But, uh, you know, I stayed in the same market for almost 20 years. So I've been at the different transformation or evolutions of the market, including the recent, you know, growing importance of uh, customer experience in BPM projects and how this is sh shaking a little bit, uh, you know, the whole market. Fantastic. Yeah. And I know that's what we're going to talk about over the next few minutes, really, is, is how, how this market's uh, changing and you know I haven't been as uh, intimately involved in in the technology as you have but I suppose uh, and maybe maybe not uh, quite since 2000 but certainly for like 10 15 years I've been watching this market pretty closely and uh, certainly I I think like you um, have seen a lot of changes in that time um, and it seems like for a while now it's been popular in some uh, some circles to say, you know, BPM is dead. Yeah, we it's old news. Um, we don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> you know, it's it's it never really worked. And I, I you know, I certainly don't believe that. Although, I, although I do think um, it's it's certainly changing. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure you don't think it's dead either. I mean, certainly your business depends <laughs> on it, but not being dead. But, um, uh, you know, I, I certainly see that um, really, you know, like the, 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 the cost and the, and the ease of use and the barriers to entry are so much, uh, so much smaller than they were before. There's, there's lots of different opportunities that just didn't really exist. But what are you seeing in terms of um, changes in what people are doing, you know, with your technology? And I, I know you're also in touch with lots of other uh, companies and their, their leaders, too. So what, what kinds of things are you seeing in, in this space and, and how that's changing? So especially over the last three years, uh, you know, I'm seeing a, a really a major evolution in the in the nature of the projects that people are implementing with BPM. So uh, I call it, you know, the, the what and the how of BPM implementations is changing. Uh, and, uh, you know, on one side, uh, I think it's also you need to be lucky because uh, with all these trends on business automation, digital transformation initiative, this is driving, uh, you know, a big change on, on uh, what a BPM project is. You know, I'm, I'm seeing customers moving from uh, more traditional operational projects uh, uh, with uh, BPM 
in which, uh, you know, as you know, the goal was more about reducing cost, increase margin, or improve efficiency of employees. And don't get don't get me wrong; those are all really valid goals, and and I still, you know, there is a ton of projects around that. But we are seeing people now thinking more strategic, and thinking mm. more about how we can deliver innovation, how we can launch new products or services, and uh, you know, the main focus is now how we make customers happy. Uh, of course, uh, if you make customer happy, you probably are going to keep your customers, so you keep your revenue, but also you have a ton of other possibilities to increase the revenue. So now the goal is more about creating new business opportunities rather than just uh, uh, improving what you have. So that's that's one side of the story. And uh, you know, in even in um, in in the key industries, um, traditional industries for BPM like financial uh, services, uh, you can see the two kind of use cases. No, So the, the first mm -hmm. one will be the more operational projects where the traditional loan approval uh, applications or loan approval processes in, in banks. Now you see more and more banks that are uh, fully di digitalizing the onboarding of new customers that before was something that you could only do if you go to your local agency. No, And now you can open your account online. No. So those are these whole things are trans, uh, transitioning or evolving from one side to the other, um, and then on, on the on the how those projects are getting implemented, there is also uh, big changes, and uh, and again those changes are also driven uh, from my perspective to from digital transformation because uh, people now understand that digital transformation is about uh, incremental and iterative uh, change. Uh, it's about getting feedback really fast. It's about involving end users and customers uh, really early. Um, it's about measuring what's working, what's not working, and of course, technology needs technology that are going to be using used for for in those kind of projects needs to also um, uh, needs to evolve, and that's what basically the well, the majority of the vendors are doing. No, how you can uh, help customers to work that way, how you can embrace uh, continuous delivery, how you can embrace continuous deployment, how you can integrate with uh, the rest of the tools that are already available. Uh, so you can deliver on that promise, no? So, uh, um, so it's uh, for me the how it's uh, also been transformed over the last three years. Right, right, and um, you know certainly uh, there's this kind of I think a piece in between that as well that I've I've seen maybe like slightly further back, you know, some further distance maybe is that um, you know as we've got I think I certainly agree with you. You know you've got this shift from a kind of operational focus, cost and efficiency to I mean, still that, but also now new kinds of uh, new kinds of kind of uh, imperative or, or reason around you know speed and and new product delivery and and um, customer satisfaction and so on. And I also agree around you know the kind of um, the methods kind of environment and the the need to integrate with you know modern uh, modern approaches and modern kinds of uh, software delivery pipelines and things. But I think there's all there's something in between as well, which is around the kind of the shape of the shape of projects and programs. It seems to me yeah. um, that that appetite for you know big long transformative kind of year plus two years kind of program is <laughs> we just never see them anymore. It's all about how do we deliver value with this project solving this particular issue right now here. You know, over the next three to six months, I, I guess you're seeing similar kind of change as well there. Sure, and, and you know that that's part of the continuous delivery uh, thing, mm -hmm. and you know that's the kind of uh, even internally, you know, at Bonita Soft, you know, our consultants are that's that's the main discussion they are having with the customers, how we can reduce, you know, the scope, the initial scope, to make sure that we are delivering 
uh, you are delivering value uh, really fast, no, and getting all the all the benefits that we we're describing, no, about the early feedback. Yeah, that's that definitely that's a major change. Uh, you know, we're not talking anymore about waterfall uh, approaches in terms of development. Um, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and I get from the customer's point of view, um, it, it it kind of fits into what I'm seeing there also around just com just commercial kind of interest. Uh, you know, their their appetite to spend budget and, and to see returns. <laughs> much more desire to see a return and then align yeah okay I'll spend more if I see a return soon uh, you know sure. and be able to, so and it's all kind of fits together right um, sure but there is one thing uh, though that is a little bit different uh, could be a paradox but uh, you know uh, uh, with uh, the customers now also investing more on in innovation and creating new business opportunities this is also driving uh, new kind of projects that we were not seeing before and that they are mm. not that uh, around op operational thing and are spending more money at the end because uh, they it's easy to justify that you are creating new business opportunities and you are contributing to the top line than always reducing the cost no so um even if uh, of course uh, you know we're gonna the projects are gonna be a shorter and we're gonna deliver people are expecting to deliver value really fast um because of the nature of the process are changing people are hesitating a little bit less uh to expend money on things that are uh, you know delivering this 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 uh, strategic value yeah yeah that's 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 um i think that's that's really interesting. And so do you, I mean, without naming names, what would be a good, a good kind of example or an exemplar of, of, of that kind of project? Um, you can anonymize and then just give us a yes. flavor. Sure. So, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, I was talking before in the financial uh, industry, the customer onboarding, but that applies to, we're seeing that in the telco industry with operators, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you can apply that to insurance. So, uh, you know, all those uh, businesses that are really customer oriented in which uh, there is a lot of volume uh, of customers. And of course, there is a lot of competition, you know, uh, investing in ways to, to accelerate how you can become a customer and on how you can perceive really fast that the value uh, compared to another bank, another telco, uh, or another um, in, um, insurance uh, uh, is delivering a ton of value to the company. So uh, people are really investing on those kind of things. Right, right. Make, make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think, um, so that, that kind of leads us nicely into the next thing I was, I was going to ask you about. You know, certainly from, <clears throat> from what we're seeing is that as well as, or sort of, uh, I suppose, because, partly because of this shift towards a concern for, um, you know, thinking more about the customer journey, thinking more about customer-facing, um, uh, customer-facing kind of effectiveness. Um, the, the the nature of the work that you really want to support quite often changes from being very very predictable. You know, in in the back office, quite often we can say, you know, we already have nailed down quite a good uh, design for a process and we know exactly the work that needs to happen. But sometimes it seems, uh, and increasingly um, this is the case, that when you're, when you're kind of looking at work that's closer to the customer, you, you, if, if what you really want to do is improve the customer's experience, what you, what you absolutely do not want to do is force them into a rigid process and say, oh, well, I can only solve your problem if we do things in this very strict way. And so, so yeah, yeah. So I, I, we're certainly seeing more uh, the need for frameworks and approaches to kind of automating work that are they, they give you give people more freedom and more uh, more opportunity to apply their expertise. And yeah, of course, still give them automation and guide rails and stuff. 
Um, and often, of course, people talk about case management in this context. Um, is that something that you guys are seeing? Um, an increase in demand for uh, for case management styles of application? Yeah, yeah, we're seeing that. Um, but you know, sometimes the you know some of we we realize that some of the projects are not really case management projects, but basically we see three different use cases. No, so the the, the I will say like the more traditional data data centric use case or case management use case in which we're dealing with unstructured processes, and uh, is what uh, you call the exploratory work. Um, mm. And uh, we usually see that into the projects that are related to super operations. Um, you know, uh, traditional claim management, or you know, uh, people that are uh, in the working on the customer support, um, the customer success, or even, for example, in the bank, that could be credit card fraud litigation agents. Yeah. Uh, and in the majority of those cases, what we are seeing is there is also a structural capabilities involved at some point. Mm-hmm. So it's a good way to start with exploratory work uh, uh, and give this flexibility. But uh, of course, you know, as soon as you are, um, you know, you decide, for example, in the credit card fraud litigation example, uh, to reimburse uh, the customer uh, about the fraud, probably there you want to have a structured process because you know exactly what are the steps uh, to do the reimbursement. So, um, so yes, we are seeing more of those use cases, especially in uh, uh, support operations, uh, but always or more and more connected to a structured process at some point, no? So that's that's scenario number one. Scenario number two, um, we are also seeing some exploratory uh, style of work use cases that end up being immature projects, uh, meaning that uh, uh, people saying like, okay, yeah, you know, everything everything needs to be flexible at a, at a point that the reality is that the goals were not clear, the use cases were not that clear mm-hmm. for them neither. So it was not about the technology, and it was not about discovering things, is that you need to spend a little bit more time thinking about what you really want to do. Um, uh, and we also validated that with uh, some of the partners. No? We discussed it with uh, some major system integrators. They say, like, usually a third of the uh, name case management opportunities are actually disqualified because they, are, mm-hmm. they need to be a little bit more mature. No? Uh, so, yeah, we're seeing that as well. Um, that's probably what happened when you, when you have some hype in, in a technology or some big trends. And, uh, and you know, more interesting, uh, interesting as those days, we're also seeing uh, use cases um, in exploratory work or case management in which multiple organizations are involved. Um, and in which, uh, you know, the, the, the use case related to the process related to uh, the internal organization is more structured. Uh, and I will give you an example. And the, and the collaboration process between the companies or organizations involved is more unstructured or exploratory by nature. For example, the pharma industry in the US, pharmaceutical industry in the US, you know, which pharmaceutical company, um, you know, use usually internally really structured process to, for example, manage, you know, the test uh, on the potential side effects that a particular drug can have on, uh, on the population. And, uh, and actually that's a good news that, that all that is a structure. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, as soon as one of those companies detect that, uh, you know, a number of uh, occurrence of this particular side effect is going beyond a certain limit, they uh, have they, they must declare uh, that to the FDA, I think is the name of the organization in the US. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that particular moment, uh, the process or the use case becomes fully unstructured because you have like a different experts from around the country that need to work together to understand um, the standard deviation. Uh, uh, and then uh, the process is gonna become structured again when uh, the particular pharmaceutical company needs to take some concrete actions. So um, uh, that makes me think a little bit that some of the 
blockchain uh, use cases, uh, even if it's not the topic of today, but we are seeing, uh, you know, more and more, um, you know, use cases in which multiple organizations are involved. And, and as I mentioned, no, a structure is more used internally and a structure for the collaboration. Yeah, very cool. And just to add in a little uh, anecdote, um, there, you, the, the middle use case uh, you talked about there is, is something I've just recently come across again myself, um, talking to um, a healthcare uh, service provider, uh -huh. and uh, they had a very deliberate strategy to start with a kind of case management approach, because what they, they just wanted to start kind of getting some structure around some work and being able to monitor it and understand its progress, and to try and get some kind of order <laughs> over what was happening. <laughs> and over time, as they started to work with it, they started to um, then start to uncover opportunities for adding more structure in. And so mm -hmm. as, they've, as they've gone further, they've actually started to kind of refactor the work and, and, and make more of it structured. And I think they've, they've really seen the benefit from doing that because um, by, in quotes, kind of digitizing the work, even though it wasn't really structured, they could, they could start to get um, a real insight out of the work and then use that to actually to take things further so I think um, that's a, that's a really interesting uh, kind of opportunity that's out there sure. so and, um, and you know and I think that sorry to interrupt Neil I think that uh, yeah. there's a lot of people that thinks that because if it's unstructured that you have plenty of uh, flexibility and also plenty of benefits but uh, you know in some situations that there, there are also a lot of benefits about going a structure or as you mentioned no to to re-engineer re a little bit as something that was not a structure uh, uh, and to and to bring into to a structured process, you have other um, uh, positive side effects <laughs> about doing that. No, so uh, I think mm -hmm. we need to be careful about that. Not not it's not because it's everything. It's uh, unstructured and uh, that needs to remain a structure. Um, you need to think about uh, what can be refined, as you mentioned. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but that's very different, isn't it, to, to to how it was done maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, where sure. uh, there was you know so much more emphasis on on upfront design um, before we ever really got anywhere towards uh, implementation. Um, so it's a very different kind of feel, I think, to how yeah. people are using technology now. Um, that's probably related also about this agile uh, yeah. you know, methodologies and continuous delivery. That's probably also pushing that. I can, yeah, I completely agree. Um, and so actually, we've just started kind of coming back to the whole um, <laughs> software, software architecture, software delivery shift. And something else that I, I was going to talk to you about was um, microservices um, because you know when we speak to developers I'm sure when you guys speak to developers that's pretty much on everybody's mind is you know are they going to uh, employ microservices architecture are they already doing it when will they do it what benefits will they get and I'm seeing more and more people asking about okay if we go down the road of you know building and deploying many microservices uh, we really need to kind of have some way of, of getting visibility across these, orchestrating action across these. Um, it strikes me that this is another opportunity for us to use um, essentially process automation or workflow. Are, are you seeing something similar in your world? Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, everybody's talking those days about the advantage of using uh, microservice architectures and, uh, you know, especially about the benefits uh, because, of course, services are going to be... Uh, Loosely couple, um, you know, and you can reach them in the independently through the APIs. But um, but uh, of course, microservice architecture is not something for everyone, and and it also um, brings some hidden complexity uh, mm. that you need to deal with. 
And I think this is where um, uh, an orchestration engine can help. No? So what about reliability of uh, the microservices? What about um, helping you to find the root cause of a problem in such a decentralized architecture? Uh, even you know the complexity of managing the bobs uh, when you are developing a you know big applications with a ton of services. No, uh, mm. so I, I really think that an orchestration engine and particularly an engine that supports BPM and two notation uh, can help um, uh, you know to manage the asynchronous communication between the different services, but also managing errors, compensation, timeouts, all that is part of the BPM and specification. And otherwise, you're going to need to find other other ways to manage it by hand. So it makes a ton of sense for me to 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 use an orchestration engine. Um, at the same time, uh, when you're discussing with uh, uh, people about or developers about that scenario, uh, of course, some people are going to argue that you know adding an orchestration layer to a microservice uh, architecture is basically going against the essence of a decentralized architecture because you have a central point that is coordinating what's what's happening. No, um, and 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 I think that's a valid point. Um, uh, but, uh, but I think that you can imagine uh, other use cases, other architectures in which uh, you can bring um, uh, an orchestration engine into a microservice architecture, like for example, uh, not, using the not using the orchestration engine to coordinate all the work, uh, but using the orchestration engine inside some of the uh, different microservices that requires, um, and then use other technologies um, you know, like for example, Kafka or any other distributed mm -hmm. streaming technology uh, to basically manage the communication between the services. So you are doing more kind of a choreography um, and do the orchestration engine, uh, as, as I mentioned, at, at uh, microservices level, so you can manage long-running processes for the ones that make sense. No, so yes. we are, we are. I think we're going to see more and more of these kind of use cases again. Uh, this is not for everyone. Not all the people need microservice architecture, uh, or at least um, you know, and that uh, go at this level of complexity. Uh, but of course, you know, there are some industries. Where I, I was talking about the telecommunication industry. Uh, there is a ton of uh, opportunities there. No, for example. Um, so those kind of how we see the things, no? the kind of discussions that we are having. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I certainly agree. It's not a, just a a simple one size fits all kind of thing because we, we're then we're just replaying the whole SOA. Uh, kind of argument <laughs> in that case, aren't we? Right. So yeah, pro, you know, we need surface orchestration, and um, I think trying to be too uh, prescriptive about architectural kind of guidelines it just doesn't make sense uh, in in today's world. So um, and, and I certainly agree. Um, going back to your other point, though, that there is there's real value because um, the BPMN two uh, spec implementations of that really give you that kind of native understanding of event-driven uh, processing and being able to, you know, handle events and work asynchronously. That makes it makes it super interesting, particularly if you can also use that same uh, kind of definition to actually kind of uh, to monitor and, and to, 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 to bubble up kind of operational insights. That's that's also really interesting, I think, yeah. Sure. So cool. And and you know, we talk so we're talking in general about how the world of automate process automation and workflow is changing, new use cases. So we've talked about un, more unstructured work. We've talked a bit about microservices and opportunities for orchestration there. And the other thing that I suppose we we're kind of almost uh, contractually obliged to mention <laughs> is 
is it, because it's just so prevalent right now is um, RPA, robotic process yeah. automation. It seems I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of this one. <laughs> yeah, everybody, everybody, everybody is talking about this and doing it. Um, and I, I certainly believe that as organizations get to a certain level, if they're really thinking more strategically, they need to be thinking about, okay, now we're, we're getting some good returns around automating particular tasks, but what do we do next? And, and it seems it seems obvious to me, and maybe that's dangerous, but it seems obvious to me that we need some of this this kind of higher level automation to add value here as well. But I mean, you're in the market where you are, what are you seeing? Yeah, exactly that. I mean, I, I, when I was saying that I'm a big fan of RPA, it's because, you know, when, when you are discussing with customers about digital transformation, uh, you know, we all know that it's, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, launching those new initiatives, uh, you know, it's also about uh, uh, finding the right uh, team to work on that and, uh, you know, um, doing this incremental change, whatever. But on, at the same time, you also have some uh, things that need to be fixed right away. And that's the powerful thing of RPA, you know, that... Uh, not only brings immediate savings uh, in some uh, in some projects, but also can free up people to work on more creative, creative or strategic things. Uh, so I I really think that uh, um, that it makes sense to combine the two BPM and RPA, especially when you are discussing about end-to-end -end process automation in, in those major digital transformation initiatives, no? Uh, because we can clearly see what is going to be providing in terms of capabilities the BPM. And what are the benefits of including RPA? No, so you you see, uh, even if and still there is some confusion about what can be done with one tool and to the other. For me, it's really clear. No, so you with BPM, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be responsible of the process orchestration. It's going to manage all the interactions with the customer, uh, because you cannot replace the customer by, with a robot. And of course, it's going to be managing all the exceptions and uh, all, all the complex decision um, making by by humans. No, and 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 we really see. What can be delegated to the robots, especially all all, all the tasks that are repetitive, um, and of course all the benefits about uh, growing this uh, uh, this digital workforce that are going to help uh, uh, your your current employees. No, so um, uh, I think we can, uh, in simple uh, terms, we we can uh, uh, we can say that uh, you know a, a robot or a set of robots uh, are going to be part of a more global a global process uh, that is automated with BPM. And uh, this is the pure essence of BPM, you know, how uh, a technology is helping you to coordinate people, machine, things, and now robots. Um, and uh, of course, if you are only doing RPA and you are missing this opportunity um, of, uh, you know, adding BPM, um, you know, capabilities, you are going to potentially going to miss one of those strategic projects that I was mentioning before. Yeah. Okay. So is this something you guys are... Um, actively working on projects in this space right now. Yeah, actually, we we decided to to work with uh, UiPath uh, okay. um, for yeah. us as one of the leaders in this market. Um, and uh, and the way we are working with customers with them is like uh, we're really focusing on customer experience kind of projects because you also know that uh, um, uh, RPA sometimes has a, a reputation to to help more on the on the back end and on this uh, on the uh, operational side and, and the super uh, teams uh, so they are also you know the RPA players are also looking to ways to uh, impact more directly the customer customer and uh, and so that's what we are trying to do you know like let's focus on uh, use cases in which we can deliver more uh, value to 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 the customers and improve the customer experience so everything that I was describing before 
you know about, for example, onboarding customers in different industries uh, way more, in a way more effective way. Um, this is a scenarios in which you can uh, have the two technologies working together. Again, uh, you know the, the 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 process of BPM technology managing the whole process and the interaction between humans, systems, and the robots, and the robots helping, uh, especially the employees. Uh, that are managing, you know, uh, the interaction with the customer to do a ton of different things, no? To get information from uh, other sources, uh, you know, to take information from from different systems. To, for example, also wait uh, that uh, um, a contract has been sent by the customer and then scan and review, validate, uh, and then uh, call back the the process and manage this asynchronous communication between the two. So uh, there is a ton of benefit, uh, I think, that for BPM and RPA vendors to work together in those use cases. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. And so, um, yeah, we've we've looked across like different ways in which this technology is finding its way into organisations. Yeah. Uh, we've looked at you know more unstructured work. We've looked at microservices and orchestration there. We've looked at RPA. So bringing it all back together, um, what's your view? Uh, you know, you have an engineering background, so you understand this. Um, <laughs> if we look at you know, at least conceptually, it's the same kind of thing we want to do, right? We have some kind of state machine, um, you know, we want to coordinate, you know, the flow of tokens across states and all that kind of stuff, that's fine. But when you look at the operational demands, um, can, can one engine uh, or platform really be used, can, can it kind of turn itself to all these different kinds of scenarios or do you see that in practice, there's going to be different kinds of specializations or optimizations for engines that that uh, need to play in different parts of this market as it's it's changing. I think you're probably going to agree with me uh, on this one, Neil, because um, uh, you know I was reading some of your um, uh, publications about the how the automation market is evolving, and basically my understanding is you were saying like, okay, yeah, there is no uh, one um, solution that fits all. Uh, in the automation market, there are plenty of uh, different uh, solutions, and um, and I think that's that's the reality. No, it's like uh, just in, in this discussion over the last twenty minutes, we have been discussing not only about BPM and orchestration, but how it relates to RPA technology, how it relates uh, to distributed streaming platforms. When I was talking about Kafka, uh, yeah. So I think that there is no uh, one solution, one orchestration engine or platform that fills all the use cases, even if, of course. Over the years, um, those engines or platforms are becoming more versatile. Um, so, uh, so you you see that uh, you know now um, with a single engine or a single platform, you can uh, handle both uh, structure and, and structure scenarios and mix the two. Uh, you can, with some of them, also if you can deploy them uh, embedded, uh, manage some of the microservice orchestration scenarios that I was describing. Uh, if you also add the UI capabilities, you can also work on a uh, the low-code development scenarios, and uh, you know, we'll, uh, talk a little bit more about applications than just uh, processes. But you know, the, if you go really specific in some of the domains, I mean, um, it doesn't make any sense to try to use a, a BPM solution for doing RPA. It's not the same technology. No, it's uh, at some point you're gonna also uh, need other things that are within we didn't discuss today. Like uh, I don't know, you you still want to use maybe uh, some kind of uh, uh, services bus uh, or mm-hmm. IPA management technologies. So um, yeah, so the answer is no, even if uh, those technologies are becoming more and more mature and versatile. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I certainly not right now. I, I, and I do agree that the, the underlying technologies that are out there are becoming more versatile, but I still think um, 
actually <clears throat> the, the use cases as they exist today are um, there's kind of some overlap but actually it, certainly when you look at the the extremes um, it makes sense to kind of look at different optimizations different specializations around the technology I think it's it's a fast moving area right and you know and there is a persona as well uh, it yeah. depends of the persona that you are targeting because of course it's not the same of course you are talking about orchestration engine and usually you're talking with also developers but as soon as we're talking about the platform uh, and then you also involve uh, business people uh, of course you, you cannot be good everywhere so it's a, it's a it's a really good point and and i think just turning it back to rpa briefly you know it's a technology that's been around for a while yeah. but what really kind of set the whole thing on fire was that those vendors suddenly hit on the kind of magic formula of how to address a particular persona and yeah. do that very very well so they talk about i'm using air quotes <laughs> uh, they talk about <laughs> robots they talk about training they talk about a digital workforce all of these things are um it, it's a way to address a kind of operational um yeah. management uh, persona that doesn't really care too much about the detailed tech what they think about is operating models and um and and you know workforce costs and structures and things like that and they're thinking about trade-offs around things like offshoring and outsourcing so playing much more directly into those concerns it's not really a technology evolution that's happened but it's more of a um, it's more of a positioning and a, and, a, and a marketing evolution that we've seen and I, I you make a really good point it's not actually just about what the tech can do but it's actually also about how you package that and sure. take it to the audience. And the ROI, I mean, uh, the, I mean you, you can get an, an impressive ROI when you are deploying a, a, an RPA solution. So that changes everything as well in terms of, you know, the time that you are going to make to make a decision and, uh, and to adopt the technology. You know? So it's also changing completely how people are going to adopt the technology. And even when, you, when we look in, in the RPA uh, uh, market about the technologies, you know, it's uh, when you look a little bit further on, on, you know, what is the technology behind, it's not easy to implement. I mean, some people are saying like, yeah, it's just a robot, it's just a, a script, or oh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. No? When you see like, a, um, you know, people are now also able to learn uh, from uh, what the user is doing and to detect that uh, it, was a, it was a change uh, at some point and you don't need to record the robot again. So, yeah, even the technology itself uh, is becoming more mature, um, uh, you know, from a pure te technology perspective. Mm. Uh, that's uh, that's really fascinating. Thanks a lot, um, Miguel. I really appreciate your time and your insights. It's always good to chat to you and it's nice that this time we actually get to record it. So, um, uh, yeah, so today we've really been talking about the evolution of BPM and process automation, looking at how new kinds of use cases are coming up. And really, I think both of us agreeing that still BPM is not dead. <laughs> it's just changing shape. <laughs> That's for sure. Thank you very much, Neil, uh, for, for the invitation. It's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for your time, Miguel. Much appreciated.